So this summer we're, we're going through the book of Acts. And if that's a, a book of the Bible that you're not very familiar with, this comes in what I would say part five of the Bible. So part one is when the creator creates his good kingdom. Genesis 1 and 2. God, the creator, creates everything that lives and moves and has its being, everything in heaven and on earth. That's act one of God's word. Act two is when it all gets messed up because of sin. And that's really Genesis 3 and following. And then act three of the story of God's word is his plan of redemption is initiated through the people of Israel. That's really the bulk of the Old Testament. Act four is when Jesus himself comes and accomplishes that work of redemption, which is what we're going to commemorate and celebrate today at the end of the service as we take communion. Act 5 is where we are today, and that's where this book of Acts is located. It's the beginning of the mission of the church. So the Gospels are done. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the story of what Jesus accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. The very next book is the book of Acts. And that's where we are today. It's the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So this is the launch of the mission of the church. King Jesus says, okay, guys, I'm out of here, and I've got a mission for you to accomplish. It's to proclaim that Jesus is king throughout all the earth and to prepare and to live as if he is the king. So as we read the book of Acts, it's not just something from way back then. This is us. This is our time. This is the beginning of the era that we're in right now as the church. So we're learning about the origins of the mission of the church, how they began to fulfill the call that Jesus had entrusted to them. And there's one final chapter to come in God's story of redemption. Chapter six, the last story is when the king returns and when when redemption is finalized and every tongue confesses Jesus is Lord and every knee bows before him and acknowledges him as king. So we, right now, living in the middle of history, we have the privilege of living in light of that reality that is coming at the end of time when everyone really acknowledges he is the king and we're saying right now, you are the king, Lord Jesus. So this is the mission of the church. The the chapters that we're going to be looking at today is a story that spans three chapters, Acts 3 through 5. We're going to read quite a bit of text today because it's hard to summarize a story without getting into it. So we've got about eight minutes of reading. Are you okay okay with that? Can your attention span accommodate that? It's God's word, so I hope we can get our hearts to a place where we are listening with excitement and joy and as hearers of God's word, not just those who kind of, it goes in one ear and out the other, but where our hearts are transformed as we come to his word together. This is a story to give you a, a little bit of an overview. It's really Uh, There's a preview of what's happening in chapters 3 through 5 right at the end of chapter 2, the passage we read a couple weeks back as we got into the book of Acts. There we find out that the believers are all gathered together. They're sharing with one another of their resources. They're going to the temple to worship each day. The Lord is increasing their numbers. Uh, There's healing. There's wonders and signs that are happening. So we're hearing some general statements about the, the, the condition of the early church right after the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them. And now as we get to chapter three, it's really specific examples of those general statements at the end of chapter two. So now we've got Peter and Paul are in the temple. We heard at the end of chapter two that the believers were gathering in the temple. Now we have an example of Peter and John showing up at the temple. 
We're hearing in general that there are signs and wonders that are happening as God's Spirit is being poured out on the early church, as Jesus is being proclaimed. Dramatic things are happening. Now in chapter 3, we have a specific example of a wonder. A man who's in his 40s, paralyzed since birth, born lame, sitting at the temple at the gate beautiful, begging for alms as he has done all of his adult life. But God's got something in store for him, and we'll read about that today. We, we heard in, at the end of chapter 2 about the early believers giving up their possessions. That's, you know when someone's life has been radically affected by the gospel, when it affects their wallet and their bank accounts. And that's what has happened in the early church where they're saying, you know, this temporal existence is not all that there is. It's not about the pursuit of wealth and accumulating things that are perishable. It's about the kingdom of God. How can I leverage the resources that God has entrusted to me for something beyond just this life? And they begin to sell their possessions. They begin to share with those who are in need. And they have a kingdom-minded focus even when it comes to that area that becomes a God for each of us even in this day and maybe even more so. And now we get to chapter three and that principle carries forward as Peter passes this man who's begging. He's begging for a handout. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. Yeah, we, we just found that out at the end of chapter two. You guys all sold your stuff and you shared with everybody in need. So Peter is literally saying, silver and gold have I none. But then he's got something to give this man, which is what he really needs. Daily in the temple. We saw at the end of chapter two, many believed. There in chapter two, at the end of Peter's sermon, calling to repentance, there were 3,000 new believers. That is a dramatic weekend service. And now in chapter 3, again, that theme carries on and into chapter 4 where there are many who believe as a result of another sermon that follows this dramatic sign of Jesus the King. So we read together now, beginning in chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's not coincidental that this event is happening at the temple. As the early church is beginning to fulfill her mission, the mission that Jesus has commissioned them to do, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The first place 
that that gospel goes out is among God's chosen people, the Jews. And this healing event happens at the temple. A man who's there at the temple daily, begging, saying, give me uh, some cash so I can survive through another day. Give me some, some bread to eat for this day. He encounters the bread of life. He encounters the living water. And I love the picture of him leaping and jumping. It's not just kind of a few feeble steps. The first steps he's taken in his 40 years of life. But this guy is jumping up and down and he's leaping. And he's there in the temple. This dramatic example of God's power in his life. And it gets the attention of all the people who are gathered around. It draws a crowd. They're filled with wonder and amazement. What's happening? This isn't just a theoretical religion. This isn't just a set of correct doctrinal beliefs that you can check off your list. This is a dramatic life change that's happening in the life of this individual. People are drawn to this. We want to find out what's going on here. One of the themes that has been introduced here, and you'll see this throughout the book of Acts, is this theme of the name the name of Jesus. Those are the words that Peter uses as he speaks to the man who was born paralyzed. And he says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a designation that shows he's the king. In the Old Testament, the word was Messiah. That's the Hebrew word for it. In the New Testament, it's Christ. That's the Greek word for this idea, this concept. It means anointed, which is what you do with a king. You, you use some oil to designate them as the king. So when you see Jesus Christ, think King Jesus. That's how we would translate that in English. So he says, in the name of King Jesus from Nazareth, rise up and walk. Jesus was also a common first century name. So in case there was any uh, ambiguous idea in this man's mind, he says, that Jesus from Nazareth, who is the king, in his name, by his authority, your, par- your paralysis is over. There's a new chapter opening in your life. This really correlates well with what we saw in chapter two on the day of Pentecost. And Peter's sermon that day explaining, what's going on here? There's tongues of fire appearing on people's heads. They're speaking in languages they have not studied. Like, you know, I'm from northern Minnesota, and this person who's never studied English is speaking with that northern Minnesotan accent of my hometown out in the back 40 there, don't you know? How is this possible? And it gets people's attention, and Peter has an occasion to stand up in front of the people and proclaim the truth of Jesus. One of the passages from the Old Testament that he quotes in chapter 2, verse 21, is from the book of Joel, verse 2. Here's what it says in Joel 2. Everyone who calls upon the name, did you catch that? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Where does salvation come from? It comes only from Jesus Christ. We're going to see that later in chapter 4. So there's this emphasis on the name of Jesus. He's the one that we call upon. He's the only one who can bring healing to this man who's been begging there at the temple, receiving alms but not receiving that deep healing that he needs to affect every part of his life. After Peter's sermon in chapter 2, when the Jewish people gathered there that day are 
made aware of their role in the crucifixion of God's chosen king, the Messiah. It says that they're cut to the heart. Verse 2, 37, and they say, what must we do? And Peter says there in verse 38 of chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's an even deeper healing than just a mere physical healing. You know, today we're saying, that would be pretty cool. If there was someone who was paralyzed since birth and all of a sudden they're leaping and dancing and that would be pretty dramatic, right? You'd want to catch that on film and, and upload it to YouTube. But there's a, an even cooler healing. There's an even more powerful healing. It's the healing that's described in chapter two, the forgiveness of sins. That affects not just this mortal body which will someday end up in a casket. Even if it is able to walk for this man from age 40 something and following, he still is facing the reality of his own mortality. But there's a deeper work of healing that comes in the name of Jesus. It's the forgiveness of sin. It's hope, not just for this life, but in the life to come. Power in the name. And now Peter brings that message here as we've seen in verse 6 of chapter 3. We see healing uh, through faith in the name of Jesus described a little bit further. We'll get to that. We see a confrontation that's emerging in this story. We'll get to that in chapter 4. As the religious leaders now are drawn among this, this crowd, and they're saying, by whose authority, in whose name are you do, doing this healing? Peter boldly proclaims it's in the name of Jesus. Time and again, this theme of the name of Jesus comes up in the book of Acts in the early church. They are forbidden at the end of the story to proclaim the name of Jesus. Peter and John are now having to make this decision. Do we yield and submit to the authorities and power structures of this earth? The religious leaders who are standing opposed to King Jesus and they're saying, hey, no more of this name of Jesus approach. And we'll see that they choose disobedience to the, the, the structures of authority in this earth. They're not listening to the name of Caiaphas or Ananias, or the other powerful men there in the early, in the, in the, in the temple, the Jewish leaders. Instead, they're putting faith in the name of Jesus and, and risking persecution and beating and opposition because of the name. It's the name of Jesus that brings salvation. And our mission is to proclaim the name of King Jesus. How does this affect us? Well, I guess the first question is if you are that man sitting at the gate beautiful day after day looking for some meaning for this day's existence, focused on your physical needs, your material needs, and you've never heard the name of Jesus, then there's good news for you today. There is power in the name of Jesus to heal you in a holistic way. Every part of your emotions, your psyche, your past, your sin, your future, all of that today is available to you as healing through the name of Jesus. And so if you've not encountered Jesus, then that opportunity is for you today. 
I, I pray that you hear by his spirit in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk in whatever dimension of life you need that healing. But I think secondly, there's a decision for us as followers of Christ. Will we be led by the Spirit as Peter and John were on this day to not just walk by that, that particular beggar, but to be led by God's Spirit in those opportune moments where God says, I've got you in the place that I need you today. I'm going to work through you. This wasn't a healing that Peter conjured of his own power. He's clear to uh, articulate and explain that misconception away in the verses that come. But he says, no, this is God's work. This is the work of God's spirit. This is the power of Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus that has brought healing. It's not because Peter is some cool guy. And we'll see elsewhere in the book of Acts where people try to use the name of Jesus uh, to conjure up their own healing when really they don't belong to Jesus. These are faithful men who have just been baptized of the Holy Spirit in chapter two, now carrying out the church's mission to proclaim King Jesus. And today at the temple, there's an opportunity for a dramatic healing in the life of this individual. What if God calls you this week to offer a prayer of healing in Jesus' name? Will you take that step of faith? I can imagine myself walking together with Peter and John, feeling that prompting of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I'm supposed to pray for this guy. And then second-guessing that, think, well, you know, maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. Or I don't want to make a fool of myself. There's a crowd of people here. What if I pray for healing in Jesus' name and nothing happens? What if my motives are questioned? What if somebody thinks that I'm just trying to, you know, fabricate something or I'm trying to draw attention to myself? And there's a lot of excuses we can use when God's spirit is prompting us. It may not be a prayer for healing. Maybe it's a conversation with that person next to you on the flight. God says it's not by mistake that you're sitting in that seat and there's another person on the aisle who needs some hope today. Take the earbuds out. See what I do to bring a conversation about that will lead to proclaiming the truth of the only place where healing at a holistic level comes from, the name of Jesus. See, there, there are no mistakes, there are no accidents. God has chosen to use his sons and daughters in this mission of proclaiming King Jesus to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so he will put us in those places, in those opportunities, and then it's our decision. Will we obey? Will we proclaim? And leave the results up to him. Listen to the prompting of God's spirit. I think that's the the lesson that I take as I'm reading through the the origin of the early church. Not that we're gonna create a new evangelism uh, program based on this approach. All right, let's let's go to the temple and let's look for lame people and then let's get them healed. Uh, I don't even know where the temple is. I'm sure there are some in the, in the Denver metro area. But this is not a template for you know, exact replication. But I think there is a principle here. That as God's chosen people who have been called to himself, sons and daughters redeemed by King Jesus, filled with the power of God's spirit, we need to be on the lookout to be used by the king to proclaim his goodness, his love, the healing that comes through him, whether it's a prayer for physical healing, Maybe it's seeing a stranger who's crying. It's not an accident that you walked by and saw that. Open your mouth and say, do you want to talk about it? 
Would you mind if I pray for you about this circumstance you're facing? And see what God does. There's a boldness that's required to proclaim King Jesus. And he's got us out as his ambassadors in this world. There's a lot of hurting people. And I found that usually if you offer prayer, people will accept that. On rare occasions, you will face opposition. But most of the time, they will receive that prayer with, with gratitude. It's a way of showing that you're, you're empathizing with their circumstances. Even if they don't have a concept of the creator God and his plan of redemption and the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that offer of prayer from another human is usually received as an expression of love. And God is faithful. He'll work in those times as we step out in faith and pray. Now this is more than just a healing story about one individual at the temple this day. There's a crowd that is drawn. We're gonna read that as we go into the rest of the story. There's something bigger happening than just a man who's in his 40s walking for the first time, as dramatic as that is. We saw a preview here at the end of verse 10. All the people were filled with wonder and amazement. They gathered around and now Peter has an opportunity to preach. So we're gonna read through his sermon. You're gonna hear a lot of Old Testament stories brought forward. Remember, the point of this whole passage is the good news for the Jewish people. You know, they've been awaiting the Messiah for generations all through this Old Testament. And yet now that Jesus has come, most of them missed that fact that the Messiah has come. The king is here. In fact, Jesus is crucified because of that unawareness or that hardness of heart. So Peter now proclaims boldly the good news of King Jesus in this Jewish context. Picture this now. The the man who was paralyzed is standing right here for the sermon. Talk about a dramatic display of the power of Jesus. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn around, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, the Messiah, the King, appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. In other words, King Jesus is coming. There's one more chapter of this story. Moses said, 
the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is a sermon of repentance. To repent simply means to turn around. You're going in this way, you repent, and you go this way. This is a sermon of repentance to the Jewish people. And there is a decision that Peter brings to the Jewish audience gathered that day. You can heed all the instructions that you've heard through all the Old Testament prophets. Moses, Abraham, Samuel, all the prophets warned you that you will either accept or reject God's appointed king. And Jewish audience, Peter says, you have rejected God's Messiah, King Jesus. And it's by God's grace and mercy that this man was healed on this day at the temple as a dramatic example and picture to the Jewish people gathered that day that there is a powerful God who has sent his son Jesus to bring holistic healing that affects every dimension of a person's being, even in this dramatic fashion of being lame and now walking for the first time. More than just a physical healing, there's forgiveness of sins available in Jesus. My question for you today is, have you experienced the healing in Jesus? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you repented and turned from that old way of living to the new? This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you who were dead in sin are no longer trapped in that path. Jesus and his shed blood has made, way, made a way for you to be forgiven of your sins, to be made right with God, and not just freed you from all that, but freed you for living for him and for others. If you have not experienced the life-changing power of Jesus, don't put it off another day. And this was really the sermon that Peter preached on this day to the Jewish people gathered. You know, you, you walked in ignorance, as did all your leaders. But today you are no longer ignorant. You've heard the good news. You've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've heard how God has now fulfilled his plan of redemption in sending his son. And now the choice is yours. Will you continue down that path of destruction? Or will you repent and, and respond to God's drawing you to himself, cleansing you, forgiving you? And there is a decision, there is an action, there is a, a reaction to the initiation of God's promise poured out by his son. So have you been healed by King Jesus? And then, beloved, if you are a Christian, God's spirit has empowered you to be a witness for King Jesus these are Jesus' last words, right? In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses here at home in Jerusalem, in our uh, province of Judea, in the neighboring province, the Gentile region of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
King Jesus will be proclaimed. Are you on board? And so if God has poured out his spirit upon you, you are, you are a follower of Jesus, you have this privilege and this joy of proclaiming him and of making him known. And the decision is really, will you step out in faith in the name of Jesus this week? Will you take a risk for the gospel? Will you, you know, risk your own reputation, your own comfort? What really is the risk? There's really no risk. The risk is either living a mundane existence focused on the things of this life or living in the joy that comes with that life of faith and following King Jesus. What are we afraid of? I think as we read this story, you know, we're at risk on, on one side or the other, either of over-intellectualizing this story or over-experientializing it. Is that a word? I don't know. So on the one side, we could, we could look at this in a very cognitive way. You know, maybe our, our Western enlightened rational thinking, you know, we look at this scientifically. Well, you know, we know that medicine can, can alleviate some human problems. Surgery, you know, maybe it was some nerve damage. And we start intellectualizing things. And usually that's an excuse to avoid participating in what God is doing. Or we could over-experientialize over it where we go, oh, wow, God has poured out his spirit. People can be healed. Let's go do it and leave our Bible sitting over there. But there is a both and where our hearts and our minds are transformed by God's spirit, where he fills and indwells his people, where he works through us in powerful ways, where we have a word-centered faith submitting to God and his revelation of himself through his son, through his word, by his spirit. And then as we read this book, we get drawn into it. We get sucked into the story and we say, God, I'm on board with your kingdom mission. And that's where the power is. So that both and way of living where we have a word-centered ministry as we listen to God's word and we expect the powerful living God to work in and through us. That's where real life is. We serve a risen Savior. This week, I encourage you to step out in faith I trust that he's going to give each one of us an opportunity to pray, to, bring, to pray for healing, to, to present the gospel with someone. And as we do that, I, I want to warn you, expect some opposition. We see that that's what happens next as we go to chapter four. There's some opposition that comes when we follow our mission, when we respond to the prompting of the Spirit, when we step out in faith, opposition will come. Verse chapter four, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. By the way, did you notice in chapter three the repeated references to the resurrection of Jesus? This is central to the gospel message. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus was, not, was just another dead martyr of some movement. It's the resurrection that changes everything. It's the resurrection that makes all of Jesus' truth claims true. It's the resurrection that distinguishes Jesus from everyone else. And so they're, they're now proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from, from the dead. One of the Sadducees' foundational faith statements was that resurrection is a farce. And so when you've got Peter now preaching resurrection, 
they're obviously going to be offended. And so, verse 3, they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. We were at 3,000 in chapter 2. Another 2,000 followers of Jesus as a result of this healing and the sermon that followed. The proclamation of King Jesus in both word and deed. So on the next day now after spending the night in prison, their rulers, the Jewish rulers, the elders, the scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, so picture this, all the power structures of the religion, the religion of that day gathered around in a circle with Peter and John in the middle of it. And they begin to question them. They inquired in verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? Peter doesn't soft sell his response. He gets bold. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, resurrection, proof, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone Again, it's that picture of God's plan of redemption from beginning to end of this book. He, he had chosen the nation of Israel as the builders of this plan of redemption. But now Jesus comes and he lays that cornerstone upon which his kingdom is established and built. And Peter's now preaching to the Jewish people. There's still an opportunity to repent. There's an opportunity to, to turn and believe and put faith in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 12, as we read earlier, right after worship today, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now the response of the religious leaders. Now, it's remarkable that this is the day after the healing incident. Remember the, the, the previously crippled 40-something guy was standing beside Peter and John yesterday? Before the night in prison, listen as we go now to the, re the reaction of these religious leaders encircling Peter and John, still boldly proclaiming Jesus. Listen to where this crippled guy is now. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Did you know that God uses people to proclaim King Jesus who have not completed a seminary degree? It's not just the guy with the microphone on Sunday morning. So the bring your friend evangelism is fine to a certain point, but you're not off the hook in proclaiming good news because you lack formal theological education. Open your mouth. Proclaim King Jesus and leave the results up to God. He's empowered you by his spirit. He's given you his word. You have all that you need. We have common, uneducated men proclaiming to all the religious leaders the truth of Jesus. And they're astonished. 
And I love this little verse here at the end of uh, 13, at the end of verse 13. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if it's like they re- they're like, hey, wait a minute, we, we, we saw you with him or we remember that. Or if they're like, if they're, it seems like they're astonished because of the authority with which they speak and they're seeing the power of Jesus evidenced in their lives. Coming right after that perception that they were uneducated common men, they're astonished and they recognize that they had been with Jesus. <clears throat> now listen to this. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them the day after they were imprisoned, he's still sticking around. They had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded <coughs> excuse me, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. There was no rationalizing away the incident. They're going, yeah, clearly, this was the same guy. We've known him. He's been sitting at that gate beautiful his entire life begging for alms. He's standing out there with them. We can't deny that something dramatic has happened. Everyone in Jerusalem is talking about it. So now what are we going to do? Verse 17. We can't deny it, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Do you know that even if God works a miraculous healing that is undeniable, it's still possible to reject him. It's still possible to cling to unfaith. These Jewish leaders had read their Old Testaments. They knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah. They've seen the power of the living Jesus bringing healing to a crippled man. They're not disputing that fact. Yep, yep, he legitimately was healed. It's a miracle. Now let's tell these guys not to proclaim the name of King Jesus anymore. They're still clinging to unfaith, disbelief. So verse 18, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said, okay, you guys are the boss, sorry. We won't offend you. We don't want to... No, they choose the path of insurrection, the path of revolution. This is a dangerous approach. They go against the status quo, against what is safe. And it starts with a but, not an and. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, the crowd that's gathered around. For they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. In other words, he is a man. We've known him for a long time. This was not fabricated. This is real. And the story continues into chapter 5. Again, the, this, the drama, the saga continues. There's, 
the salvation, the healing, the proclamation of Jesus as the king. There's the arrest. It intensifies a little bit, chapter 5. Now there's a beating that comes along with it. Gamaliel, the the Pharisee, reasons with the leaders again. They're wanting to kill them by chapter 5. And Gamaliel says, you know, we've we've been down this path a couple of other times. There's been some other insurrections that have kind of bubbled to the surface, but when their leaders died, their followers disbanded. 400 guys here, another group of followers here. So let's just let it die out. You know, this Jesus guy, he's dead. If it was just another of man kind of thing, it will die out, it'll fizzle out. We don't have to do anything about it. But, Gamaliel warns, if it's of God, there's no way we can stand against what God is doing. In fact, we would be opposing God himself. And they heed the advice and the wisdom of Gamaliel. And so they do beat Peter and John in chapter 5, and then they release them. Are we ready to suffer like that? Are we ready to face opposition and even beating and rejection and lay our careers on the line and our physical safety on the line for the sake of King Jesus? Is it an all-in proposition Or are we, as comfortable American believers, trying to tack a little bit of Jesus onto whatever else we already have happening? If we are, we have a form of godliness, but we are denying the power. And there is power available to us where it goes beyond just lip service to King Jesus and it affects every dimension, every sphere of our lives where our priorities and our values and our resources are channeled in the direction of the king and his kingdom. There's an excitement and a joy that comes with following Jesus at this intense level and seeing him move and seeing him work and seeing him change lives and cultures and large groups of people moving from darkness to light and he uses people like you and I. Our culture is worshiping false gods. There's the God of autonomous human reason that says my intellect is superior, I can reason and figure things out. There's the God of human experience where truth is all within the individual. Whatever I claim to be true, you have to validate and affirm that. And these are some of the gods that we encounter. And in the midst of these lies, we're called to proclaim King Jesus, to bring salvation to those who are serving their, their own minds or their darkened hearts, tainted by sin. And there's a need for cleansing and healing because of the power of Jesus that affects every dimension of the people that God has put in your path as neighbors, as coworkers, as extended family members. Will you step out in faith this week? Will you pray? Will you proclaim? Will you offer the hope that comes in King Jesus? And then see what he does. This is our mission, church. Today we're gonna take communion I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and and prepare our hearts for worship now as we remember his sacrifice, his broken body, and his shed blood. And as we do that, I just want to read the believer's prayer in response to the events here in chapter 4. But let's read this as not just the believers way back then, but we ourselves proclaiming King Jesus with our words, with his word, and with our deeds and our actions. Stepping out in faith as he prompts us by his spirit and uses us. And now listen to the prayer 
of the early believers here that we can make our own today. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them regarding don't proclaim King Jesus anymore. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. A prayer to the, to the creator God, acknowledging that there will be opposition from the rulers of this age who stand in opposition to the true ruler of all ages. And their prayer continues, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, here's the prayer. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is, this is after the day of Pentecost. The, pouring, the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit was not a one-time event. This is something that happens as his people gather in his name and pray prayers like this. Say, God, pour out your spirit upon us. Shake this place. We need to be shaken up out of our apathy, out of our comfort, and realize there is opposition now and to come if we are proclaiming. If we're just blending in, there probably won't be any opposition. But if we're proclaiming King Jesus, we're going to see Dramatic things happening, lives transformed, sins forgiven, the king being made known in our day, in our neighborhoods. And then we see again at the end of chapter four as they once again are sharing their possessions and their, their, uh, Barnabas sells a field and brings the proceeds and says, let's use this for the kingdom. I encourage you to read the rest of this story here in Acts three through five in your life group or with your family or in your own personal quiet time with God this week, and be challenged, be stretched to step out in faith to see the king work in and through you. Let's give him our hearts as we now prepare to, to uh, take the elements of communion. God, we, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for proving that he really is the king he claimed to be by raising him from the dead. Jesus, we acknowledge you as our king. We serve you with all that we are. We give you our hearts and lives. We repent from that old way of living and turn fully to you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to pour out your power upon each one of us that we may be your witnesses. Give us the wisdom to proclaim the truth of King Jesus. Lord, to diligently study your words so that we're prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks a question concerning the faith and the hope that we have within us. Help us to do so with both boldness and gentleness. 
God, this week I pray that we would take a risk for you if it, if it means setting our comfort aside, setting our reputation aside, that we would be willing to go where you call us to go, to say what you call us to say, to offer a prayer of healing, to lend a listening ear, to proclaim the gospel to someone who has not heard. Today, as we receive communion, as we share in communion together, we remember your broken body, your shed blood, the price that you paid for our sins, and we give you thanks as we look forward to your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can go ahead and make your way to the tables here uh, near each of the exits, and then let's, let's take those elements of communion, come back to our seats. We'll give thanks together. You do not need to be a member of our church to join us. If you are a follower of Jesus, we welcome you to uh, share in communion together with us today.